You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Rob Russo. I'm Jamie Dumont. And this is The Fabulous Invalid. What's going on? What's going on? Well, I have a fabulous story to tell. Um, the other day, I was scrolling through Twitter, um, as I want to do, and the Drama Bookshop, uh, which has unfortunately since closed, um, posted a photo um, as part of their sort of fire sale, closing out the shop. Um, they had uh, a, a table full of playbills that they were giving away for free. Now, for those who don't know, I am uh, a bit of a, Jamie would call me a hoarder, which I think is, a, is, is an unfair characterization. Is, but, it, <laughs> is it really unfair, I, Rob? Since the age of eight, I have been collecting playbills, and I have uh, a rather large collection of playbills dating back to the early 20th century, um, but mostly from the, the second half of the 20th century um, <laughs> that I've collected through the years and people have given to me. Um, so I saw this photo and literally stood up at my desk and was like, okay, I'm going to be gone for the next uh, 20, 30 minutes and <laughs> walked the short few blocks that I needed to walk to get to the drama bookshop and spent a, a, a good 45 minutes just paging through all the playbills that they were giving away. I grabbed a whole bunch of good ones and I culled from that stack uh, some really good goodies that I know Jamie would love to see. So I've, I've brought them here. Unfortunately, you can't see them, those who are listening, but... We um, can post them on social media. We can post media. some photos I'm on social media. Excited. Yeah, I'm so looking, I, I brought a little stack. It's alphabetized, of course. It, it Rob's definition letter, of little not is within letter, not different. Within letter. Are they alphabetized? Did you say that? Yeah, yeah, but by letter, not within letter, because that, w- that was just too much to do as I was leaving the house this morning. That alone but- was exhausting. <laughs> just that explanation made me want to go to sleep. You know me well. Um, I do. So uh, Jamie is, is paging through right now. That's Catherine Hepburn doing As You Like It. And let, let, let's see what from you're doing. From 19, yeah, what, like God, I think 30 it's from the, you look. Yeah, it's from so the Rob should also know that this is a little hard for me because um, 
I also collected playbills. 1950. So I guess that makes me a hoarder. But I collected playbills um, of only shows that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, like a sane human being would do. Right. But I saw a lot of theater growing up, and I've seen a lot of theater as an adult. And I had playbills going back to you know my first show ever, which was Pippin in 1974, I think. Or Ooh, we've never talked about that. Mm. Um, and I had like great stuff. Um, I had the... The 1978 Beverly Hills High School production of The Music Man with Gina Gershon oh. as Zanita Shin, mm-hmm. right? Is that her name? I don't know the character name. You know, you gods. How do you not know this? Just the girl. The, yeah, the, no, anyway, yeah. the, the, the Tommy Gilles and Zanita Shin. It's yes. Janita Shin. Anyway, that was played by Gina Gershon, and so I actually know her real age. Because um, I know what grade she was. Uh, she was very good, as a matter of fact. She was, uh, I believe she was a little starry, uh, yeah. I will say that. Oh. Um, but uh, the point of this long-winded story is that at some point in like 2005, 2006, I tossed my entire collection. Oh, Jamie, breaks in my a, heart. In a moment of, I think, a need Bur- to shed some old skin mm-hmm. so that I could grow new skin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I'll say about well, all that. Well, all, all I've seen on social media for the past two weeks is Marie Kondo. Am I saying that right? She's the, the Japanese sort of like organizational scientist who has <laughs> written a book and now has a TV show, I think. Netflix show, yeah. Oh, here's yeah. Joel Gray and George M. So Rob really wasn't <laughs> lying. It's, I was not. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm holding an original playbill from Kiss Me Kate. From Kiss I Me mean, Kate. I'm, the I'm season little, it opened. It's the original cast. I'm a little warm. Patricia Morrison and, and Alfred Drake. There's like five Little Night Music. Well, I brought, oh, my I, God, there's Mame. Angela <laughs> Lansbury in Mame. Oh, Ann Miller, who... My parents saw Ann Miller in Mame. There you go. And um, you would ask my mother the story today, and she would say exactly this. They put in a 20-minute dance break for her. Sweetie Todd Streetcar. Oh, no, that's not signed. It's not signed. Oh, it looks like it's signed by Uda Hagen. But Uda Hagen is in it. It's and I guess she stayed with the show for a while. Right, and Ralph Meeker. It opened Carl in 48, Malden. and that's from late in 49. This is really, I'll post a photo of this on social media because it really looks like, you know what, it was, oh, you know what, somebody wrote the names of the stars on the, on front, the front of the playbill. I thought maybe it was printed that way. But you can tell she she tried the pen out first at the top right. and then wrote the names <laughs> in. Um, it's probably some little old lady from Westchester, is oh, my yeah. guess. Well, I I once bought a whole stack of playbills from a, a used bookstore, and on the inside, on the title page of each show, whoever this theater goer was, over the course of many years, wrote a little review. And it's fascinating, because they saw the original production of The Glass Menagerie, and they're like, oh, this is a pretty good play. You know? And you're like, yeah, yeah, this is one of the greatest plays. Um, this is extraordinary. Okay, I think we should move on, because this, this can't be fun for anybody but us. Well, well one, one more thing, one more thing. Oh, you're holding it in your hand. You're holding thing. it in your hand, the other hand. Oh. That, that is A Little Night Music from the Colonial Theater in Boston. Oh, wow. And if you open up to the song list, this is when it was doing its pre-Broadway tryout, You'll notice some songs that did not make the Dear final. Dear Sam, I love you, Clint. Also, <laughs> there's a love there's note. There's a love note in here. Wait, it gets, there's more. And a phone number, 303-442-6026. So if anybody wants to call and talk to Clint, they can do that. 
Jeez, that amazing. See, you never know what you're going to find in someone else's playbills, right? It's no, pretty amazing. I mean, okay, so song list, what's, I'm looking for a song that's, um, that got cut, right? Well, Bang, Bang. obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't make it in. Silly People in the second act before the Miller Son. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Frid got a number. I didn't yeah. know that. Good for you, Frid. <laughs> um, this is great. We're going to post some of these photos. I might yeah. post that love letter because I'm an asshole. Um, wow, thanks, Rob. Of course. This made my day. Fun little treat. John Hoche got his puppetry training from the downtown group Vampire Cowboys, worked on War Horse for three years, and was part of the puppetless yet brilliant soft power last year in California. John is the voice, the head, and the neck movements of Kong. Both Danny Miller and Jacob Williams hail from Australia and both come to Broadway having worked on King Kong in Melbourne. Danny just completed his work on the film Judy and Punch and is responsible for Kong's jaw and facial expressions, blinking snarls, etc. Jacob is the co-artistic director of the Lemony S. Puppet Theater and makes Kong's shoulders, arms, wrists come to life, and he calls the cues. Welcome, fellas. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming in. Um, I wanted to start with a couple of stats on the creature, um, just in case there's anyone out there in the world that doesn't know, but I can't imagine that's the case. Um, Kong is 20 feet tall. He weighs 2,000 pounds. It takes 14 performers to operate. Is that correct? 14? It's 13, but there is an automation... Um, controller in the roof. So yeah, 14. Yeah. Okay, so he's, I, he's like the fifth beetle up there. Okay, so I, I have a question about that in a second. Um, and then 16 microprocessors, which I don't know what that means, but it sounds fancy. The puppet is made of steel, carbon fiber skull, fiberglass arms, and no, wait, no, no, the skull is fiberglass. That's correct. Yes. Okay, all right. I can't read my own notes. Um, and his arms and chest are an inflatable airbag or airbags and his legs are high-pressure tubes, and he's covered in gray fabric of some description. Correct. Is that? Yeah, he also has um, he also has these little white beads that fill up the the muscle bellies and things like that. So um, we call it Kong blood and like uh, bean bag. Yeah, like, he's like a giant beanie baby. Actually, he's like a giant. Okay, yeah. I should have just said that. Cut <laughs> <laughs> to the chase. Easier. Oh, now, now I see him. Yeah, <laughs> he's like a two thousand pound, twenty foot tall beanie baby. Exactly. Wow. Okay. I wish I had called you and gotten <laughs> earlier because that would have been great. Um, so actually, I I had a super fast question. You said something about. He, there's something in his head. There's something above, correct? There's a, there's an operator above. Right. There's a there's a big apparatus in the ceiling of the theater which moves Kong around. It, it turns 360 and lives on a sort of an X Y axis and moves him across stage. And there's a, a guy called Stefan who's automation operator, and I talk to him over the head, headsets, and he he presses the cues and calls the cues and gives me signals of when I can call other cues for the uh, 10 on stage performers as well. So, so he lives up in the gantry of the theatre and we see him coming down every now and then. He's like, a he's like the phantom. Right, he's yeah, the phantom, the, exactly. phantom, the vampire of the theatre. So he's <laughs> literally in, not the rafters, there's a more technical term for the fly gallery. Yeah, they call it the gantry. The gantry. Yeah, which is the rafters, mm-hmm. yeah, the fly, where, where Kong lives. And there's no one in Kong's head, correct? There's nobody, it's all done, there's nobody, there's nobody inside the no, body. Although an interesting fact is when we started rehearsals in Melbourne, um, John's role 
sat on the head like a bucking bronco mm. and the, the controls, the rigs were on his head and they were moving around. And the director at some point about three weeks and said, you know, I don't like that. Can we try having him off the head? And then all of a sudden it, it was like 70 kilos off the head and the head moved so much quicker, mm. so much more dynamic. And it was like a little bit of a golden light bulb moment. It's like, oh, that's much better. And so now John and that rig lives in the voodoo booth with the rest of us. Yeah, my, my rig actually has a, a title on it that still says Rider. So, yeah, yeah from <laughs> Old Revenants. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was going to ask this a little bit later, but Anne Darrow at one point climbs up Kong, right? Mm-hmm. And she's, she's at the sort of towards the end of the show. She's kind of riding through the streets of Manhattan on his back, which is presumably where you would have been in more theory. or less if yeah. that had not changed. She, it doesn't look like she's clipped in. Is she clipped in? Absolutely. Okay, the that's what I thought. <laughs> that's what I thought. I mean, I yeah. assumed you weren't doing anything dangerous. I didn't mean no. to imply that. But it looks like she just climbs up on that thing and then goes. Like, it yeah. is really spectacular and scary and wonderful to watch her do that. And, and there is a bit of slack on the rope that she's tied into. And, and, and the back of Kong is this big silver steel almost ladder, which is... It looks like a jungle gym on his back. There's yeah. a lot of things to yes. grab onto. Yes, a reference to the silverback. And so she can grab on with one arm and, you know, flail the other arm up like she is riding through the streets. Yeah, it's, great old time. it's thrilling. It really, yeah. you, it, you, I bought it hook, line, and sinker, not, pun not intended. Um, <laughs> and then there's also times where there are other operators, or there are, they're part of the, the Kong's team, which I'm getting that name wrong too, uh, correct? They're called the King's Company. King's Company. And there's somebody who's jumping off of him and time to time. Um, so there's, there's a lot of movement on his back. That's right. And then with Kong, the idea is that the King's Company, which there's the 10 performers on stage pulling ropes, holding on to Kong, is the audience sometimes see them and we we very deliberately make them be seen. And then other times they just disappear behind Mm. Kong into the shadows. And especially with the adult brain, you see them first, but then as you get, you know, pulled into the story, they disappear and you see Kong. But then you see them climbing and jumping off, like you say. And, and it's counterweighted, counterbalanced. So when they jump off, they're holding onto a rope, which will swing Kong's arm up into, into sort of smack an aeroplane as it comes past, et cetera, and things like that. Mm. And I get to tell them to jump off. Right. <laughs> so are they wearing... It's not just dramatic. It actually serves a purpose. Oh, yeah, because no. yeah, um, they have to jump off his, his shoulder to get that... The, the the uh, the enough force to make the dynamic raise of the arm because you could just pull it pull the arm up but then it'll just kind of herky jerky go up slowly because his arm is quite quite heavy it's mm. you know it's a lot of the weight of the well, the well one of the, the arms. one of the wrist performers did the maths on the weight and how many times he lifts it during the day and during the week and and wrote it on a little Instagram post <laughs> pointedly at the producers and saying, look what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and how many times is it, do you know? Oh, it's a lot of times. Yeah. It's like 72 times a, a show or something ridiculous wow. like that. And yeah. That's a well, workout. A lot. Well, they're, they're, they're fit superheroes, yeah. the King's Company, men and women. and Because they, they also do the whole ensemble track, so they're dancing, mm-hmm. really aerobic and, dancing. Yeah, and the choreography in the show is not... Very easy. It's no. very, very dynamic and, and, you know, very, very uh, 
intricate and, and expressive, and uh, and for them to do both, you know, we consider them superheroes. It's also seamless, and I think that you know, had I not done some research you know, before sitting down and talking to you guys, I wouldn't really fully understand or appreciate the fact that there is an operator up in the gantry, right? There's the the puppeteers who are physically manipulating um, Kong on stage, and then there's the three of you in a booth in the back of the mezzanine. There's three different things happening all at the same time, not to mention the fact that you've got actors on stage interacting right. with yeah. the creature itself. Um, and it's all happening simultaneously. Yeah, and it took a while to... In Australia, it was a six-month rehearsal process because mm. it was technology and a puppet we'd never seen before, and is this going to work? Mm. And there were two um, test puppets built um, before the third puppet that you see on stage is, was um, created. But, and, you know, it took a while for Christiani as well to kind of work opposite the creature. And Christiani and John did a lot of work um, just on stage physically. So John would be Kong and then mm. the King's Company would be, be behind Kong sort of being that presence and sort of doing the choreography of Kong. And so she got that kind of immense force of 13 people acting opposite her and... And in a way, when she emotes to Kong, she's another puppeteer as well because she gives life to the puppeteer and gives a belief that he's an organic creature as much as the rest of the 14 people do. Right. It's sort of that adage that it, I, I do not mean to compare this to the Muppets in any way, but they used to say about the Muppet show, the actors that went on that, you could tell those that believed yeah. that the Muppets were real and those that didn't. And it makes a huge difference right. in terms of working together whether or not you're, you know... You believe the magic. Yeah, and it's uh, Sonny Childers who created the creature. He's the creature designer. talks about um, the, there's one other entity, which is the audience, mm. that they have to believe. So at some point, they suspend their belief and they put all that emotion on and there's this sort of unspoken relationship between the puppeteer, the puppet and the audience, which I think is another sort of a magical kind of element to puppetry. And the three of you are in the booth at the back of the theater, which is called the Voodoo Lounge. Is that is that correct? Correct. Is that what you what you call it? That and is correct. You're the back at the back of the mezzanine, correct? That's right. Yes. And so stage right. Stage right. Oh, okay. In my I, sorry, in my yes. mind, I was I was house, thinking smack, house right. Sorry. House right. Okay. So, what is the booth like? Tell me a little bit about what's inside of it. Who sits where? Well, it's probably half the size. It's of about the size this of this room? table that we're. Uh, you know, okay, that we're it's a bit on. bigger than that. <laughs> I don't, know. So I don't we're, know. We're in a room that's maybe eight by twelve, something yeah. like that. Eight by fifteen. Yeah, it's about half the size of this room. Okay, it's probably, probably as wide as this table, and um, <laughs> okay. so we got three rigs next to each other, and John's is set slightly back, so it's a bit of a zigzag, and sometimes our shoulders or our elbows awkwardly touch each other, and. We move past Awkward that. for you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a privilege. Yeah, a, and, uh, and then behind us, there's a, a guy called Jeff who's head of creature control. So he's monitoring two computers, mm. making sure Kong doesn't get too hot because he's got oil, engine oil inside him and making sure that everything's working so everything's responding to our, our rigs. And if there's a problem, he'll talk to head of creature who's on stage working with the King's Company and we can listen into that and sort of help with that and talk to Jeff. And so it's cozy, but we have air conditioning. Yeah. And it's soundproof, sort of. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and we're looking through a, you know, a, a window onto stage, but um, a lot of times um, 
you know, in a, in a blackout or uh, if a big set piece is in front of Kong and we can't see him, we have cameras on, on uh, in different areas of, of uh, the stage so we could kind of switch feeds and then we have to work off monitors that, we, that, we're, uh, that we're looking at. Um, and uh, yeah, and when, when you walk into the booth, it kind of looks like, um, I would say like it looks like th- th- three opportunities to fly a 747 or something like that. Mm. Like, oh. like controls, yeah. you know. Um, that's kind of what the controls look like. Um, mostly, I was expecting like Atari controls and like game, like yeah, I was expecting, yeah. you know. Similar Atari controls, but on a, on a sort of a, a rig which is spring-loaded and can move back and forth and up and down. Oh, so the rig physically moves with you moving it. It's, it's attached to the ground, but then the top of the rig doesn't. Right, that's yeah. what it meant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's movement to it. Yeah, and then there's toggles and buttons on the, on the controls as well. Okay, and most importantly, are there snacks in the room? There's pistachios <laughs> at the uh, moment. That's it? Pistachios? Uh, no, there's, oh, there's I mean, it, it fluctuates. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. there's okay, M&Ms and, yeah. All right. Well, I, I, I think they should sell tickets for people to sit in the booth. I think that would I would cool. love to sit in the booth and see. I mean, that, I think. You might I need think, a bigger booth, but yeah, <laughs> well, you're going to regret you saying that. Yeah, that's right. Jeff might have to stand. Um, and then can you hear the audience reaction from in the booth? Do you, you, is that part of, of what's happening for you guys or is it silent in there? I mean, outside of It's, it's what a you're dull doing. reaction. Yeah, it's a little, we get a little bit coming in from just, you know, a little bit through the cracks in the door. Or, but we also have a show feed because we have to hear what's going on on stage. And right. that, those microphones pick up, you know, what the first few rows in the audience, uh, how they're reacting. I'd have to say one of the most memorable moments uh, as we're performing King Kong so far has been, um, we got the opportunity to perform for about 900 or so homeless children. And from the first row ba- uh, mezzanine to the back row balcony, we're just all homeless children from, from um, different uh, housing projects throughout New York. They all got lunch and they were, and it was a lot, for a lot of them, it was their first and only maybe Broadway show. And man, when Kong lands for the first time, it's in pitch black and just the sound, the, the raucous sound of all these kids screaming mm. through like the booth was the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. And then I roared. Yeah. And then they went even crazier. So, um, and, they, and they slow clapped during the, yeah. the Anne's Torch song. Yeah. At the end, they were like clapping and yeah. swaving their arms. <laughs> it was gold. That's <laughs> Sometimes having people in the audience that have no theater etiquette is the best because it's the genuine reactions. And it's just, especially kids too, because they're, they're not told what to do, and so Although that's just them. Coming from Australia, Australian audiences are quite quiet and conservative. Mm. Americans vocalise. <laughs> yeah. And, and I because I, well, both Danny and I toured North America with Walking with Dinosaurs, mm. Global Creatures, other big animatronic beast show. Mm. And I remember performing, I'd just done about 100 shows in Australia, and I was on the T-Rex puppet, and the first show was a 10,000-seat uh, stadium, and T-Rex came out, and I just got goosebumps from the sound that this audience made. They were like, I was expecting guns to go on. <laughs> Holler. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Wild West. <laughs> so, so I love American audiences. <laughs> yeah, but we, we do love our guns. <laughs> but it's, it's actually, it, I found it really interesting when he finally breaks out and he's destroying New York City to be sitting in a theater in the area that he's presumably tearing apart and the whole audience is going, go, Kong! <laughs> And you, think, well, you know you're 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 rooting for the destruction of your town, but okay. Um, but it, I think that's all. I mean, that's all part and parcel to everything that you guys are doing to make him come alive and to make us as an audience member really love him and root for him and 
want to be, you know, on his side. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And just once, once you break that fourth wall too, that's, you know, it's just, it's a different level of theatre. Because mm. you, once you know that he's so accessible and, you know, he's actually looking at you. Um, yeah. And there's almost a gentle quality to him as well. It, oh, yeah. d- despite all the roaring and all of the and the massive um, the massive size of him, there's there's a there's a gentleness to him that I think well, that's is right. And I think we initially we present him as this untamed monster. Yeah. With this dangerous quality, but throughout the show, um, Anne breaks that down and and he reveals himself and like you say this gentle beast is revealed and mm. You know, people openly cry in the theatre. It's mm. and uh, this puppet, this thing made of steel and <laughs> airbags and beanbags and, right. and fabric. And we didn't talk about the teeth. Those teeth are f- truly terrifying. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> they two feet long. Thing. What are the, those? Those. Um, um, I can't think of the name of the. Uh, the incisors. The incisors. Right. Thank you. The, uh, those have to be two feet, foot and a half. What are how? Probably only eight inches or so. Six, really? Six to eight inches. <laughs> That's your imagination. I right? yeah, see? Yeah, that's, too that's where the audience comes in, right? Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, probably about eight They're under a foot? Yeah. Okay, they yeah. seem massive. Yeah. <laughs> they really do. What are they made of? I'd say they're fiberglass, maybe? Yeah, I think they're yeah. fiberglass. They're pretty sturdy. Like, you, yeah. you could get hurt if you put your hand in yeah. and yeah. Right. close his jaw. Yeah, right. yeah. And you guys have had no injuries, correct? I mean... Knock it, on wood. That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. I guess it also is that that it it speaks highly to how many people operate the creature and how truly sophisticated the technology is. Yeah, correct, and it's a six-year-old puppet. It's done three hundred shows in Australia. Right. Yeah, we're heading north of a hundred now in Broadway, and it's got good healthcare. <laughs> yeah, he's got, a, he's got a team around him that does does daily checks. And what do those look like? What are those What are those daily checks look like? Oh, they they he's got zips, so they unzip him and they get in there and they look at the hydraulics. They look at all the cables connecting together. They they'll sort of open up the face and they'll look at all the sort of the sixteen servo motors in there. If, if are those the microprocessors the which micro, confuse yeah. me? Are, yeah, you got I it. I googled and it did make I couldn't figure <laughs> it out. So, so they'll just run through everything. They'll run through each control on our rig. They'll, there's a uh, there's um, one person in charge of its skin, so he'll, if it needs a bit of Botox on, on the lips, he'll <laughs> inject a bit of Kong blood in there and, and gets the needle and thread out. And, uh, mm. So it's pretty thorough. Yeah, and, and on, on the other end with the King's Company, you know, they, the producers are taking really good care of us. We have, we have a, a physical therapist at the theatre every day taking care of us, making sure that, you know, every, you know like if, if they start seeing persistent 
muscle problems, then you know we, we'll someone will go get get that checked out and things like that. So um, and there's a lot of you know rolling out, like I said, or or cupping or mm-hmm. all these other things like um, techniques. There's cupping backstage. <laughs> well, uh, you know, like in the PT, they've got like those. Yeah. Like yeah. The, Wow, so that's yeah. all the thing right now. Yeah. I mean, it's a massive company. I mean, it's it's truly extraordinary. Mm. Yeah, mm. and uh, it, and again, to give a sort of a picture of what happened in Australia, it was bigger in Australia because the King's Company didn't do the ensemble track. Oh, so uh-huh. they reduced the size, but still, it's, it's so half company. the size, twice the work for the <laughs> King's Company. <laughs> wow, that's um, we had almost fifty casts in Australia. Wow, that's unbelievable. How big was the theatre? Uh, it's the biggest one in Australia. Yeah. And, and again, it was the only one that would fit. Yeah, the only one. Kong, and they had to extend yeah. it. And do Even it then, much. they had to totally gut out the backstage area. Yeah, we do a lot of that here too. Yeah. <laughs> what? How, how many? How long did it run in 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 Melbourne? Just over a year and a half. Yeah, with with that was including uh, rehearsals. So it was, yeah. a, it was about a nine ten month mm-hmm. run, which is a pretty long run for one city in Australia, because mm-hmm. you know we have one twentieth of the population. Of New York, right. the whole of Australia. <laughs> right. <laughs> and is there, a, I don't know if you can answer this or if there is an answer to this, is there a tourable version of the puppet? Mm. Mm. Well, it, I think they're trying to talk about what right. that would How be. That? Mm-hmm. And that's all I'll say. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. I, TBD. Yeah. It's, it's TBC. I'm, yeah, yeah. You, we don't have yeah. to use this. I was actually curious just for my own. I'm just uh, glad I'm not a part of that. Like, logistically, I can't, I can't see how, but I'm sure, I'm sure they're, they're doing the best they can to try and do that. Look, I'm sure if someone 10 years ago said, we're going to put King Kong on stage, you would have thought, how? Yeah, that's right. How? Yeah. right? So yeah. it's a testament to the they'd, pro- they'd probably have to make the, the puppet lighter, and the apparatus is... Right. Mm. It's 17 tons. 17 tons, yeah. It is huge up there. Wow. And, and the reinforced concrete that goes into sort mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. making that stay in place. Is... Well, I think that's something that's very misleading about the creature is he, he does look very light and you know he, mm. it, he, Kong is solid I don't mean to imply that but he the way he moves implies that he's not 2,000 pounds or, or right. whatever he actually weighs it feels that, internal mm. right yeah, yeah right. And, and feels very natural but right. of, of course you know for me as an audience member I, I forgot that there were there were puppeteers I forgot mm-hmm. and just believed in the creature so you know that also I think helps the the mind kind of fall into that mm-hmm. and you have a, a, a female puppeteer or female puppeteers which is fantastic um, is that unusual or is that um, no not at all it's um, and look I'd be really interested in getting females in the voodoo booth as well um, like I even think they could do the voice in the, in the raw, but there was a very markedly decided thing to do is to have females as part of the King's Company because yeah. in Australia it was all males. Right. And I think the production here in Broadway has been, you know, we've got an African-American and Darrow, we've got females. You know, we're answering a few questions about, about what's sizzling around, you know, society at the moment. Yeah. You know, in the modern world. Well, your New York looks like our New York, even though it's 1931, yeah. it, it looks you know it looks like the world we live in. Which That's is right, great. And, and, and it's not a statement. They're just being who they are. Right, they're just and the best people for the job. That's right. right. Yeah, and, and they're all it's such a beautifully diverse cast and mm-hmm. such amazing talents. And for coming from Australia, it's such a privilege to be on that stage with that yeah. cast. It's it's. Yeah. I think that's the greatest thing that I'm experiencing from this production. Yeah, and we also just they weren't just looking for 
some girls to put in you know, to the king's company, those girls earned their place. Like they were the exact right people for the job. Right. So it's not like we said, oh, we have to get some girls this time. Like it's just they were exactly what we needed for the job. So that's and they're just they're kicking some major butt. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm. That's good to that's good to know. Um, I just have a couple last questions, John. For you, mm. um, right before King Kong dies. Spoiler alert! Mm. Oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> you haven't seen many all the other movies and stuff. Uh, wah, wah. Um, it's very emotional what's happening in his face, which you guys are, are, are which you are operating. But what is he? What's going through his mind? What is he? What is to you? What is he thinking? With Kong and, and what I try to always imbue into him is he's always, uh, it's always about the friendship that, that and the love um, that he has for Anne. And, you know, it's, it's not like a romantic love in the sense of like, uh, you know, two people getting together, but it's like this devotion to someone or something that, that he holds dear and he's found that makes sense to him and, um, and that has changed him. Um, so, you know, yeah, like near, you know, he's willing to die for for that and he you know he's willing to you know climb the empire state building and protect her from these airplanes you know and um and it's just like from 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 uh from that yeah that's kind of my inspiration for for all the vocals and 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 things that i can give to kong you know that's kind of what i hopefully can imbue in him so he's a tragic figure because you get the sense that there's literally no place where he fits in. When yeah. he's on Skull Island, he's sort of in his, you know, up on his perch. Yeah, and, and he's, he's alone. And, and alone, yeah. and then he gets to the city and he's on display, and then he breaks out and they're shooting at him, right? There's no, there's, it seems like there's no world in which he could exist. Yeah, and you know, there's something about, um, instead of trying to understand and communicate and learn to live with something, we have to change it. We have to make it our own. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes that leads to things, destruction. Um, and I think that's one of the kind of the, the themes that we have besides many others in our show. So, um, Before we go, we, we ask everyone this question. So I think we'll go around. Maybe we'll start with you, Danny. Was there a, a film or a show or something in your childhood or youth that uh, you saw or particip- participated in that made you want to go into the profession you're in now? I'm being a huge Henson fan, of course. There was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the <laughs> movie that came out. There was The Labyrinth. There was Dark Crystal. You know, all those kinds of movies. I always just sat in awe, and you know, just when you're that, when you're young, you don't even know kind of what puppetry is. But just the fact that these creatures are alive, you, you don't even question it. Uh, that's yeah. It's mainly the Henson sort of. You know, have you seen the lab? Have you seen Labyrinth um, as an adult? Yes. Does it hold up? Oh, I, I watch it at least once a year. Oh. <laughs> I think, I, personally, I think it holds up for sure. And yeah, I just saw it last year, actually, on the oh, big wow. screen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It does. I, I think good, it does. It's a good way to place to see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I'll always, I'll always go back to it and watch it because it's, mm. yeah, it's a favorite. Yeah. Jacob? Well, probably tragically, uh, I would say the Muppets. Not because I'm a puppeteer and I, I became a puppeteer after I was, I was an actor before a puppeteer. And But what the Muppets, not necessarily because they're puppets, but it was the love of theatre and the mm. backstage story that they told as well. And, and I did theatre as a kid. I was part of a company. And so I was sort of living that as well as a child and then watching it on TV and, and 
to be able to do that as an adult as well, just the love of the theatre. Because I've done film and television, but I don't really love that genre to work in. But theatre is just brilliant. So the Muppets all the way. God love the Muppets. John? Uh, I've got two quick ones. Um, when I was in first grade, I went and saw my sister in fourth grade perform in a school production of Pinocchio. And that blew my mind, A, to see my sister, like, not being my sister. She was, like, a character, like, on stage. And that really, like, hit a chord and, like, applauding for her, like, something about that world I, I always wanted to be a part of. And then um, just growing up with, with the films of Gene Kelly and Singing in the Rain and things like that, like, seeing a guy that also kind of looked like me was really important to me. And... You know, Gene Kelly is very, he's tan and black hair. And I was like, oh, I kind of see myself in him. So seeing him perform and like singing in the rain and things like that was, uh, was a huge inspiration for me. I think singing in the rain is big for a lot of people. Yeah. I really, I, that movie, I think, resonates <laughs> with everyone, whether you, whether you go into puppetry or acting or <laughs> theater or not. I think that movie just really affects people. Yeah. That's a good one. That's another yearly Watched yeah, yeah, that's another one that should be seen on the big screen. As well. I spent a lot of last year watching old movies on on the big screen um, at a theater in San Francisco, oh, and nice. um, I can say that singing the singing in the rain uh, needs to be seen on the big screen mm. more often. Well, with that, that's all I have for you guys. Um, thank you so much for coming down. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Great. And if you're intrigued. Buy a ticket and go and see King Kong at the Broadway Theater because, as the character says, you have to see it to believe it. And uh, right. it's pretty, pretty incredible. Thank you, guys. That it is. <laughs> Rob here with You May Be Wondering. King Kong offers, without a doubt, the most impressive feat of puppeteering that's ever graced a Broadway stage. You may be wondering, though, about the history of using puppets in theater. In the West, especially in the United States over the past century or so, puppetry has come to be considered as a lower form of theatrical art, the stuff of children or folk entertainment. That perception, though, has thankfully been changing as we learn more and more about the rich puppet traditions practiced elsewhere in the world and as contemporary Western artists and theater makers embrace the use of puppets in new and daring ways as a means to execute ambitious works of scale and sweep like King Kong. The fact is, there is no part of the world in which some form of puppet theater does not exist, and in some parts of Asia, it even rivals theater by living actor in importance. Toy animals and human figures with parts moved by string, dating as old as over 2,000 years BC, have been found in Egypt and in the Indus Valley. As early as 500 BC in Greece, figures moved by string were used in live theater, a tradition that would appear in India by 200 BC. The art of shadow puppetry emerged in China around the year 100 BC and flourished there for centuries before trade routes spread the tradition to India, Egypt, and throughout the broader Middle East, then into medieval Europe through Turkey and the Muslim regions of Spain. In the 17th century, the Japanese created a new form of puppet theater known as bunraku, in which large puppets, two-thirds of human size, are manipulated by three puppeteers dressed in black. At times since, Bunraku has even overtaken kabuki and no traditions in popularity. Meanwhile, in the 17th century in Europe, puppets controlled from above by strings became known as marionettes, 
and were a dominant theatrical tool in Italy, France, and England. The Italian form of improvisational theater, known as Commedia dell'arte, with its heavy use of stock character masks, served as inspiration for the development of English Punch and Judy shows, which became one of the most popular forms of entertainment by the 18th century. Marionette puppetry would continue in popularity throughout the 19th and early 20th century, buoyed by symbolist theorists who championed the puppet as superior to the individual human performer. Beyond shadow puppets and marionettes, water puppetry first emerged in Thailand, while here in America, the hand and arm puppets known as Muppets, developed by Jim Henson, became a new force in entertainment in the latter half of the 20th century. On one hand, the use of puppets in a work of theater can telegraph to the audience a creator's ascetic dissatisfaction with realism. The puppets instead serving an obviously constructed representational or even metaphorical function. As in MacArthur Genius Grant recipient Basil Twist's acclaimed underwater puppet show, Symphony Fantastique, in which a melange of materials ranging from cuts of fabric to feathers, glitter, and foam tubes move and swirl about in a giant fish tank manipulated by five unseen puppeteers in ecstatic choreography timed to Hector Berlioz's score. On the opposite end of the scale, puppets are used as characters, fully integrated into a story like Audrey II, the man-eating plant in Little Shop of Horrors, or half the cast of the hit musical Avenue Q, or even the subversive sock puppet Tyrone in the play Hand to God. Like that sock puppet, the puppets at the center of the less well-known 1961 musical Carnival were also meant to be just puppets, used in the course of a love story between a naive girl and a carnival puppeteer. Visionary director Julie Tamer is, of course, very well known for her brilliant staging of The Lion King, with its now iconic mix of puppets and masks, an approach that was seen in her other Broadway works, Juan Darien and The Green Bird, and to some degree in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. More and more, puppetry is being used to tell stories that might have once been thought to be impossible to tell on stage, like The Lion King or King Kong. Marianne Elliott and Tom Morris's acclaimed production of War Horse, which took London and New York by storm, featured the use of large-scale puppet horses manipulated by up to five puppeteers, several single-operator marionettes, and employment of shadow and light to tell the story of World War I through the eyes of a boy and his horse. Just last season, Marianne Elliott once again brought some puppetry to Broadway with her newly imagined characterization of the angel in Angels in America. Which takes us to the present, and the single and oh-so-memorable puppet at the heart of King Kong, who, whether he knows it or not, is the lucky descendant of centuries and centuries of theater making with puppets. Even after our interview today, you may be wondering how it all works. Well, you can check out some video online, or better yet, you can just buy a ticket and go see it on stage for yourself. Jamie here, that's our show. Thanks for listening. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. Find us on iTunes and online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid. And be sure to tune in on Wednesdays.
Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.